0: Today, brothers and sisters, I want to pull from a passage of scripture uh, that you may be familiar with, but probably unfamiliar with. And I want to look at Psalm 1, Psalm 1. (laughs) My emphasis would be verses 1 through 3, but just for good measure, we'll read the entire passage of scripture. We're going to read Psalm 1 in that old standard, KJV. How about that? Some of you probably haven't read that KJV in a while. We're going to break it out today and blow the dust off of it. (laughs) Nothing wrong with uh, other translations. Nothing wrong with KJV. uh, I would encourage you, and I think Pastor encourages you, to always get a translation that speaks to you. Uh, You do want to make sure that it is the Word of God. Don't pull up just any old thing. It must parallel good with, with the original text. But, uh, but today we're going to look at the passage in the KJV. All right, I want everyone to, to look at the screen as, and or in your Bibles, and, and let's, let's get started. Here's how Psalm 1 reads. Some of y'all may know it by heart. It says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Brothers and sisters, out of all the things that I've been preparing to say, I've been working on this message for, for quite a while in different capacities. Um, if I were to preach this message tomorrow, it would be a different thing than what I'm preaching today because I really looked at this psalm intently. But for today, I'd like to make a case for happiness. I'd like to make a case for Happiness. Will Smith and his son starred in a movie that was based on the memoir of a man by the name of Chris Gardner. Gardner was a struggling salesman trying to find his way to get a piece of the American pie. And Gardner's story chronicled a life of hardship and brokenness and broken relationships, and homelessness, and failure, all while trying to parent his son. But Gardner was a tenacious fellow, and he finally achieved prominence as a Wall Street investor. The name of this memoir-turned-movie is called The Pursuit of Happiness. (laughs) And as with Gardner, everyone or at least everyone I know, wants to be happy. I mean, pursuing happiness is ingrained in the fabric of American ideology. In July of 1776, the Second Continental Congress ratified a document called the Declaration of Independence. And it reads, in part, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and what? The pursuit of happiness. And much like Mr. Gardner, on this pursuit, you'll be faced with life's realities that would challenge your dream of being happy. Am I speaking to someone this morning? Someone in this house knows the challenges of a spouse walking out on you. Someone in this house knows the challenges of single parenting, the challenges of a health crisis, the challenges of a mental meltdown, the challenges of child abuse, the challenges of a bleak financial future. And this is starkly different than anything that you had ever imagined. I mean, nobody dreams of challenges. Nobody dreams of failure. Nobody dreams of hindrances and setbacks. As a child, you only dream of success. You knew that one day you would achieve greatness. You had everything mapped out from the time you finished high school. You knew what college you'd attend. You knew what major you'd have. You knew what career you'd hold. Some of you even knew what car you'd drive. But then life happened turning your noble dreams into a nightmare. And for many of us to add fuel to the flame, we were told in error by our faith leaders that God is not interested in our happiness because his emphasis is holiness. And we do read about holiness. Hebrews 12 and 14 makes it plain. Make every effort. To live in peace with everyone and to be holy, for without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Or how about First Peter 1 15 and sixteen, where it reads, "But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, for it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. We even sing about it, holiness, holiness. It's what I long for. Holiness is what I need. Holiness is what you want from me. We sing about it. We read about it. But I'm here to tell you, brothers and sisters, that just as our God is concerned about holiness, our same God cares about your happiness. And the Bible is replete with stories of happiness. In second Samuel. David danced before the Lord. Not because he was holy, but because he was happy. In Luke chapter 15, the father of the prodigal son did something that Jewish men don't do. He ran to embrace his son, not because of holiness, but because of happiness. In John 21, the disciples were on a boat. They spotted the resurrected Jesus. Peter being Peter jumped from the boat, swam to the shore to get to Jesus not because of holiness but because of happiness. In Luke chapter 19 Zacchaeus climbed up a tree just to get a glimpse of Jesus. When Jesus makes it to that point he looks up at the tree and says hey Zacchaeus come on down because I've got to spend some time with you. And Zacchaeus was so moved by the Lord that he invited Jesus into his house and he even told the Lord that if I owe anybody, anything, I will pay them back, not because of holiness, but because of happiness. Now, that's the Bible. But I'd argue with everyone in this room that despite your current situation and circumstance, despite all the things that you may have gone through or may be going through, every one of us has some reason to be happy. I'm happy this morning, brothers and sisters, that God didn't give up on me. Mm -hmm. I'm happy this morning because I personally discovered that his mercy is greater than my mess. When sin tried to sink me, God's arm of redemption reached down low and pulled me up. And I'm happy about that. Brothers and sisters, contrary to popular opinion, I believe that God cares about our happiness. And he gives us the recipe to prove it. It's right here in the text. Blessed, he says, is the man. Verse 1, who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Oh, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate both day and night. Now, hear what some of you are saying, brother. I still don't see anything in this passage about happiness, but I invite you to keep looking. Because, see, most of the times when we read the word blessed or blessing, what tends to come to mind is favor, provision, or protection. Uh, God bless me to secure this job. God bless this food that I'm about to receive. God bless me with safe travels, all three of those deal with favor, provision, or protection, because that's what we tend to read when we see the word blessed or blessing, but that's a westernized way of reading the word. I found three other expressions in the original language for the word bless. One is Barack. Everybody say Barack. Barack. Not Barack Obama. Mm -mm. Barak. This means to salute or to give honor. We see a picture of this Barak blessing in Genesis chapter two, verse three, where it reads, and God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because it was the day when he rested from all of his work of creation so contextually, brothers and sisters, it is to be understood that God rendered a peculiar blessing on the seventh day, a Baroque blessing. Oh, but secondly, is Macarios. Everybody say makarios. Macarios means fortunate. Um, an example of this is found in Matthew chapter 5. I can't go through all of the beatitudes. But in Matthew chapter 5, um, starting at verse 3, he, here's, here's how it reads. It says, He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Verse 6 Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, I could go on through all of the Beatitudes, but I believe you get the picture. Jesus tells his disciples, past, present, and future, he says, you are blessed. He says, you are fortunate. And he says, you're fortunate because on the other side of all of your problems is God's provision. Uh, On the other side of being poor in spirit is ownership in heaven. On the other side of mourning and sorrow is God's comfort. On the other side of meekness is God's inheritance. On the other side of hungering and thirsting for righteousness is God's filling. Now, the world won't call being hungry or thirsty or meek and mild favorable conditions. uh, But it's important for you and I to understand. That for every perceived problem that's posed to the believer is an even greater promise of provision. I think I'll say that again. For every perceived or even realized problem, all of us have problems that are in our lives. Some of them are just perceived. Some of them are realized actual problems. But for every problem, for every situation that you're going through, for every situation, for every issue that's that's hindering you or hurting you, it's important for you to understand that for all of those problems, for the believer, is an even greater promise of God's provision. When you look at your situation and your situation is getting the best of you, it is in those moments where you and I have to remind ourselves that you are the head and not the tail, that you are above only and never believe. See, a Barak blessing is honor. Macario's blessing is fortunate. But third and finally is the Esher blessing. Everybody say Esher. Guess what it means? Happy, happy, happy. And this, brothers and sisters, is how we are to read and interpret Psalm 1. The author wants us to understand what biblical happiness looks like. Um, again, I've, I've, I've read through Psalm 1, and, and, and I've been intrigued by this Psalm for a very long time. And I've got probably three or four different messages on Psalm 1. And as I was preparing for this particular message, the Holy Spirit allowed me to see certain things in here to just transition into the message that we have today. But I'm still intrigued by it. One of the reasons I'm intrigued by this is, why is Psalm 1, Psalm 1? Um, You know, there are 150 Psalms in all of the Psalms. So what made this one so uh, wonderful or, or, or different are peculiar that God would want to make it chronologically in this order. Um, why not Psalm 121 that, 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 that says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from which cometh my help. All of my help comes from the Lord. Or why not the peace of Psalm 23, which says, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want He maketh me lie down in the green pastures. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Why not the proclamation of Psalm twenty-seven that says, "The Lord is my light and my salvation; whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life." Of whom shall I be afraid? And and, and and though the peace or the praise of Psalm 121, the peace of Psalm 23, and the proclamation of Psalm 27 could have been sufficient as Psalm 1, it's as if God says, no. Since man is ever on this quest to find happiness and contentment, let me begin the songs by showing you the way. Um. Uh, Let's go a little further in this. In our text today, not only are we to understand the meaning of an Esher blessing, but we can also surmise that happiness, I mean real happiness, has both a standard and a source. Happiness has a standard. Listen to how verse 1 reads again. Happy is the person that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Uh, Most of you would probably agree that this isn't the line of communication that we are accustomed to. Um, I mean, honestly, now the, the psalmist could have just easily said, if you want to be blessed, be careful of your company, walk with folk who have integrity, and hang around people with good character. He could have easily said that. But the writing style used here in Psalm 1 is called the negative emphatic verb tense, where we are told what not to do in order to gain a favorable outcome. Uh, Let let me see if I can help that make sense. Um, Sometimes putting things in a negative connotation has more effect. Parents do it all the time. Um, have any of y'all as parents ever, ever, you know, trying to as you're trying to raise your children and to teach them the right way, you, you say you say to your child, you say, hey, listen, uh, when you get out of the bed, make sure you make your bed up. You know, and you teach them how to do it. You fluff the pillow for them. You teach them how to put the teddy bear on, and so that the bed look real nice and neat, and. And you do that for a few times, and, and, and you even remind them once or twice or three or four or 15 times. Uh, you know, make sure, baby, when you get out of that bed and you do it with a smile, that, that, that you make up your bed the way that mom or way that dad taught you to do it, and you smile. Oh, but around that 16th time. <laughs> Instead of being all nice and pretty, because you would already told them 100 times how to make up the bed and what to do. You know, you know, at parents, you'll say, don't make that bed up if you want to. <laughs> or, 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 or you've told your child, you know, hey, hey, listen, make sure that, that, that you cut the grass. You know, you go outside, you show them how to cut the grass, and now the grass is their responsibility, and you expect for the grass to be cut because you worked all week, and all your child has to do is just cut the grass when they get home. And you say, hey, baby, remember to cut the grass? And you do that a few times. Oh, we're about that fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth time. Don't have that grass cut by the time I get home. See what's going to happen. So you all can see we're a little more familiar with this negative emphatic verb tense than we thought. Um, Happiness, brothers and sisters, has a standard. And standards are important, aren't they? Early in America's history, before the government set up certain agencies, There were no standards as to how food was monitored. People often ate meat and produce that was spoiled and unfit for consumption. Folk even got sick, and some even died because they were eating contaminated foods. But then the United States set up the FDA, Food and Drug Administration. They set up the USDA. USDA. United States Department of Agriculture, they set up the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control. And these agencies regulate or monitor what's offered to the public. Here it is. They set a standard. And as it relates to happiness, here's your standard. Make sure you pay attention. If you're going to have the Escher blessing, if you're going to be happy, you must practice rejecting ungodly principles and ungodly people. He put it on the screen. I want you to read it for yourself. If, if, if you're going to operate in the Esher blessing, if you're going to be happy in this life as a believer, you must practice rejecting ungodly people and principles. In layman terms, brothers and sisters, verse 1 tells us, don't walk with anybody who engages in worthless, ungodly counsel. Don't stand with those who plan evil. And don't sit with those who scoff or mock God's word because there's a standard to uphold. Rejecting ungodly counsel is so crucial that we find it in both the Old and New Testaments. Turn to Proverbs chapter 1 in the NIV, we're going to put it on the screen. Proverbs chapter one, beginning at verse 10, 10 through 16. Listen to what Solomon says. He says, my son, if sinful men entice you, what kind of men? Do not what? Give to them. If they say, come along with us, let's lie in wait for innocent blood. Let's ambush some harmless soul. Let's swallow them up alive like the grave and whole like those who go down into the pit. We will get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder. Cast lots with us. We will share the loot. He says, "My son, do not go along with them. Do not set foot on their paths, for their feet rush to evil. They are swift to shed blood. And in the New Testament, I love how Paul puts it very simply and plainly. 1 Corinthians 15.33 simply says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. The warning is clear, brothers and sisters. When ungodly, unprincipled people entice you to do evil, Reject their advice. Had a gentleman used to come to the shop. He was a uh, self-proclaimed minister. He was uh, a guy who did taxes. And of course, me being in business, I'm trying to understand every tax loophole I can get legally, because any of y'all who own a business, you understand how, how, man, listen, I don't understand how I can have a wife, four children, a cat, a dog, and a mouse, and I don't have tax breaks that will amount to something that, that I could really, you know, hold to. I owe the government almost every year for something. But, you know, that's the nature of the business. And when the gentleman came in and I was talking to him about my personal situation. I said, you know, listen, you are a guy who does taxes and you're a tax professional. Uh, you know, what, what should I do or what, what's some things that I can claim or what's some other strategies I can take to, to get as, as many of the benefits that I can, you know, w- without it being a problem. And so he said, Craig, I, you know, I'm going to tell you, man, uh, I mean, that's, that's really quite easy. He said, um, write off everything. I said, okay, all right, that that sounds simple. He said, "Um, when you go buy gas, use your business card to buy the gas. When you go to the grocery store, use your business card to go to the grocery store. When you're buying your clothes, use your business card to buy the clothes. Whenever you do, he says, use your business card to do it. He said, "Here's, here's the justification for it. He said, because everybody else does it. This is a minister. Somebody who is a tax professional. I should say minister instead of tax professional. Um, And that was his advice to me. And I thanked him. And, 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 And hurriedly got out of his presence. Because I knew that that was something that I couldn't do. And I'm so glad that I didn't take his advice because... Listen, if someone come in to audit us, I'm trying to, how am I going to explain buying ice cream at Dairy Queen and Bullets at Academy? I don't think I can do that. Um, and, And so it's important, brothers and sisters, for us to understand what the Bible says. The Bible tells us that we are not to walk, stand, or sit with sinful company because happiness has a standard. If the IRS had come into me and, and audited me, they would have robbed me of my happiness. There's some advice, brothers and sisters, that we just can't take. But secondly, not only does happiness have a standard, but happiness, brothers and sisters, has a source. Um, look at verse 2, Psalm 1, verse 2. It says simply, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, does he meditate day and night? The standard of happiness necessitates the presence of godly people and principles. In order for you to be truly happy, you've got to have godly people around you and godly principles in you. But the source of happiness is centered around delighting yourself in the word of God. this ain't a a verse a day keeps the devil away. I'm not talking about that. No, no, no. The Bible says a happy person delights himself or herself in the word of God. I mean, do you know what it means to delight in something, brothers and sisters? Um, I'm happy. I'm I'm grateful for my family. Hey, family. Uh, I, I love my children. I do. I really do. I give a left arm, a right toenail. And, and you know, a left leg, anything for, for any of my children, all four of them. I love them, but I delight in their mama. Um, she's the sour, the sweet in my sour. She's the honey in my bun. She's the log in my fire. She's the helium in my balloon. Uh, I I, I feel like the temptations when I'm around her. Come on, Jason. Uh, Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. 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 So now uh, some of y'all young folk in here don't don't can't, can't understand that right now. So then that's fine. So let me, let me see if I can put it another way. Um, my grandmother, God rest her soul, was, was a true home. Ec. She matter of fact, she was a home ec major in college and she made this 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 dessert that was called Cherry Delight. You can look it up online or whatever, and they have certain recipes, but nobody's recipe was like my grandmother's. And, and when my grandmother made Cherry Delight, uh, the name really implies exactly how we felt about it. I mean, my sisters and I, when we knew that Cherry Delight was in the refrigerator, I mean, you could just casually be perusing around the house, but if you get close enough to that refrigerator, and you knew that Cherry Delight was in it, you'd have to get a spoonful every time you walk by And listen, my my, my grandmother passed away back in 2003, and, and, and I thought that that recipe had died along with her. And about five years, six years ago, my sister came home from California, and lo and behold, she made Cherry Delight. And she did us an even better one. She gave the family recipe to my daughter, Nyla. God have mercy. And Nyla occasionally will make Cherry Delight, and she makes it almost exactly how my grandmother made it. And so, even to this day, chair delight don't last very long in the pilot household, because when you're around the refrigerator, I don't care how good, how full you are, you know chair delight is in there. You run to that chair delight because you know it's in the refrigerator. And brothers and sisters, that's exactly what God means. That's exactly how it should be in our relationship to the Lord. That we run to God's word because we delight in it. Listen, in Psalm 119, nine times, David says, God's word is the source of his delight. Nine times. In verse 16, he says, I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Verse 24, your statues are my delight. They are my counselors. Verse 35, direct me in the path of your commands. For there I find what? Delight. Verse 47, for I delight in your commands because I love them. Verse 70, their hearts are callous and are unfeeling, but I delight in your law. Verse 77, let your compassion come to me that I may live, for your law is my what? Delight. Verse 92, if your law had not been my delight... I would have perished in my affliction. Verse 143, trouble and distress have come upon me, but your commands give me what? Delight. Verse 174, and I long for your salvation, Lord, and your law gives me Over and over again, David says, God's word is the source of his delight, the source of his happiness. I ran across the story of a man... Um, by the name of, of Dwayne. Dwayne has been locked up currently, and he has been locked up for a very, very long time. And through his experiences of incarceration and crime and conviction, uh, he opened up his heart to the Lord, um, to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now this man, Dwayne, fills his time in prison, taking all kinds of Bible correspondence, He's memorized in scriptures, and he also takes the opportunity to mentor other men who are coming into prison and to speak to them about God's love. And I want to read an excerpt of what what Dwayne had to say. Listen to what he said. He writes, it's true. God has shown me that in his word, I can find delight in my darkest moments. I have seen so many people destroyed while in prison because they don't have an anchor. My anchor is in Christ. And as a result, I am truly content. This is a man in prison. In Christ, I find I'm more blessed than anyone I could ever imagine. I have found that by keeping my eyes on Christ, by finding delight in his word, I can't lose. I look around and I see one blessing after the other. The creator of the whole universe is doing time with me. How can that not be a blessing? Mm. But nowadays, brothers and sisters, we are experiencing a drifting away from the word of God as our source. Constitutional scholar Daniel Dresbart wrote a book entitled Reading the Bible with the Founders of the Founding Fathers. And Dresbach writes that the Bible had a strong role in the last third of the 18th century. Many people knew the Bible from cover to cover. Phrases and cadences from the King James Bible affected their language. It shaped their habits of mind. The Bible was the most authoritative and accessible book of 18th century America. Christian and skeptic alike appealed to the Bible in support of their arguments. The founders who drafted the Constitution appealed to the scripture more frequently than any other source. John Quincy Adams, our nation's sixth president, stated these words. He says, it is essential that you should form and adopt certain rules or principles. For the government of your own conduct and temper, unless you have such rules and principles, there will be numberless occasions on which you will have no guide for your government, but your passions. It is in the Bible. You must learn them. And from the Bible, you must practice them. Now, founders did not do everything right. We know that uh, they had faults and failures just like everybody else. But at least they had enough fortitude to lay the foundation upon, the rest, upon our values that which we rest. So we're thankful that our, our nation's founders had those sort of principles in their hearts. But what if we were to compare them to what we're seeing in 2023? Those who are running our governments, both Democrat and Republican. Something is wrong. Something has gone awry. In fact, in 2020 the American Bible Society released its 10th annual State of the Bible report. And this report analyzes the daily reading Bible habits of Americans. And what they found in their survey is that only 9% of their respondents read their Bible on a daily basis. It was the lowest figure in the 10 years that they have been conducting it. It's no wonder, brothers and sisters, that suicide rates are at an all-time high, that marriages are falling apart, that our children and others are involved in alternative lifestyles, that gender dysphoria is a real thing. It's because there is a falling away from God's word as our source. For many of you today, brothers and sisters, you've turned to politics as your source You've turned to political pundits as your source. You've turned to Fox News and MSNBC and CNN as your source. We've turned to the world. We've tuned out the word, and yet we wonder why we're so miserable. The psalmist says, the one who has the Escher blessing delights in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates both day and night. The record is clear, brothers and sisters. If we're going to be happy, we've got to hold on to God's word. Now, here's the question How does God's word affect our happiness? I mean, on a practical basis. Turn to Psalm 112. 112. Psalm 112, verses 1 through 3. In the NIV, here's how it reads. Praise the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his commands. Verse 2, their children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in their houses and their righteousness endures forever. Look at what that scripture says. He says, verse 1, He says, blessed are those who fear the Lord, those people who find delight in God's commands. He says, their children, those who find delight in the Lord's command, their children will be mighty in the land. Verse three, he says, wealth and riches are in their houses and their righteousness endures forever. You see, for most people. Happiness is generally centered around the well-being of the family, the ability to provide for the family, and the security of the future awaiting your family. That's what we typically identify as happiness. When the word is your source, it will swallow up all of your worries. Brothers and sisters, we've got to learn to tune in to the word of God. And tune out the world that is around us. I know we've got all these things that are are serving as distractions. But the scripture is clear. Those who fear the Lord. Who find great delight in his command. Will be blessed. They will be happy. But lastly brothers and sisters. Those who delight in God's word. As their standard and their source. Find stability. Look at Psalm 1 and 3. Verse 3. Here's how it reads. It says, and he, the blessed man or woman, shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The psalmist here ties the equation together like a mathematician. He simply says standard plus source equals stability. When the word of God is what you turn to and lean on, God will establish you. Stability, brothers and sisters, is a comforting word. Everybody wants stability. We want stability on our jobs. We want stability in our homes. We want stability in our marriages. We want stability in our health. We want stability in our finances. And guess what? We'll do just about anything to secure it. So why aren't we seeking stability in our relationship with the Lord? I can answer that. It's a matter of priorities. But for those who do, those who want to live in the Esher blessing, the psalmist says you will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Listen, I want to invite all of you all to place yourself in this song. Because I think what happens is when we read the Bible, we think it was for then and there, but it's for the here and now. It's for you and it's for me. So as you read that 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 passage, he says, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Place yourself in that scripture. If you have the Word of God as your source and as your standard, this is speaking to you. You will be like a tree. I will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. And guess what? You will bring forth your fruit in your season. In other words, when you are alive and while you're alive in the earth realm, God will use your life as a ministry tool for others to reach others with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You will be transforming ages in your community. He says you will bring forth your fruit in your season. And guess what? Your leaf will not wither and whatever you do will prosper. Place yourself in the scripture. This isn't for your neighbor. This is for you. It's for you. I've witnessed the effect that water has on trees. Uh, in our backyard, growing up, there used to be a creek, pretty large creek, beyond our backyard. And as a kid, we go back there and we jump, try to jump over the creek. Sometimes we didn't make it. We crawl fish out the, out the creek, we throw stuff in the creek. we do play all kinds of stuff or games around that. And there were always trees that were growing and blooming around that creek. And about 10 years ago, the city of Shreveport came in and they closed in that creek. And so they shut off the water supply to the trees and to the vegetation that was there. And about three years later We started seeing trees wither and die and they will fall down. And matter of fact, we had to repair our fence line twice because trees that were beyond our line were falling down, huge trees, because there was no water source. There was no source. And I want I don't want any of you, brothers and sisters, to end up like those trees. Once alive and now dead, once fruitful. And now fruitless, once firm and now fallen. God is inviting you to live a blessed life. He's inviting you to live a fruitful life. He's inviting you to live a productive life. Here it is. He is inviting you to live a happy life. But you will never get there apart from His Word. So let me encourage you today and invite you today to learn to feast. On God's word. To allow the word of God to become your standard. To reject worldliness. To reject cardinality. To reject ungodly people and ungodly principles. To allow the word to become the source of your delight. And there you will find unprecedented and unparalleled favor in your life. There and only there will you find happiness. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper.